Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. One of my friends was actually listening to the last episode. I, it took me a minute to figure out what the heck she was um, texting me about because it was just like this random. She's like, why would someone let these people adopt a child? And I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? And then I'm realizing she was talking about Tinnin. So my sister-in-law called me yesterday and she was like, oh my God, why would somebody let these people adopt? So shout out to my sister-in-law and your friend, Jen, my sister-in-law, is a very faithful listener. Yes, yeah, so is Margaret. Just a little like disclaimer, this episode is a domestic violence Ooh, episode, okay. so if this is not something, if you don't want to listen to it, understood. Okay. Anthony and Linda Riccardulli were married and parents to three children, Anthony, Danielle, and Nicole. And the family lived in Hyde Park, New York. And I know where that is. Do you know where that is? I do know where that is. That's more in um, upper New York State area. It's Dutchess County. So Correct. Dutchess County. Not too, too far from us. Um, it's kind of weird when you talk about New York, too, because depending on where you're from, and and what state you're from, some people consider upstate New York geographically to, to be different. So if you're from like lower Westchester, some people would say it's upstate New York. Anyhow, um, so there isn't much information about their life. But what we do know is that Linda was a librarian at the Culinary Institute and also a merchandiser, merchandiser at Frito-Lay. They owned their home in October of 2010, the bank filed a list pendants, and this might be an indication that there were money issues. I'm going to say that's obvious there were money issues. A list pendants is usually the first step in initiating a foreclosure proceeding. So June 27th was a Sunday. So on that Sunday night, Anthony, who is now 55, and Linda, who is 47, had some sort of altercation. It escalates. And he then is holding them hostage. And it's Linda and two of the children that are home and the family dog. If the dog gets killed here, we're not doing it. He's threatening them. He's got a knife and a 12-gauge shotgun. During the altercation, he threw Linda down the stairs. She hit her head into and broke like a metal child gate. So it broke. He grabs one of the pieces of metal and hits her over the head with it. She fled the house and got in her car and was driving down the street and flagged down a police car. After an investigation, it was determined that he was also threatening to kill the family dog. Ugh. Anthony was arrested on June 28th. And part of the arrest is, you know, they search and they confiscated his weapons. And he had three long-barreled guns and nine hunting knives. And they also put in place a strict order of protection for no contact with Linda or the kids. Right. Uh, uh, that's what I would think, because that's a pretty violent altercation. He was charged with first-degree assault, second-degree assault, and first-degree unlawful imprisonment, among other charges. So when he was brought before the judge, the court ordered that he undergo psychiatric evaluations, and he was found competent by two psychiatrists. So considering this and that he had no prior criminal history, his bail was set 
at $25,000, and that was considered substantial. While he was in jail waiting for someone to post his bail, Linda went to the legal services of Hudson Valley to start discussions about initiating divorce proceedings. Rightfully so. Her reason for doing so was that she feared for the safety of herself and her children. And on July 27th, Anthony's brother, Stephen, posted his bail. Linda got a call from the police at 10.52 p.m. that Anthony was going to be released. And at 11.10 p.m., he was released. So they gave her 18 minutes notice. And I would be very afraid. So the next day on July 28th, Linda got a text from an unknown number and the text said, I'm sorry, won't bother you again. We'll call Hyde Park PD to arrange my car and rest of clothing and papers from comp, I guess a workers comp claim, if that's okay with you for Saturday and phone. And I'm, I'm kind of quoting what he wrote here, so that's why it's probably not sounding like complete sense. Right. I'm assuming he needs to have police supervision to come get his car and clothing, I, some yeah. of his papers he needs, and his phone, because that's why it's from an unknown number, so he doesn't have his phone. Right. So we don't even know where this is coming from. Yet. Yet. Okay. So Linda went to, to the police at 827 a.m. The police traced the phone that the text came from Anthony's mother. When the police contacted her, she said that she didn't have a cell phone. Then she said she did have one, but didn't know where it was. When the police asked her if she had seen Anthony, she hung up the phone. Linda said that she didn't want to press charges, but maybe wanted the police to clarify what the order of protection meant to Anthony which is smart, right? So she thought since he was in jail when it was issued, maybe he didn't fully understand it. She gave him the benefit of the doubt after, even after he threw her down the stairs. I mean, she's definitely scared, right? But when he texts her, she doesn't want to press charges and they kind of don't push her to press charges. Right, because he's just texting. And again, in these types of cases, we're never going to judge, right? We're just going to kind of talk about what she did or what she said. But I'm going to reserve judgment because I've never been in a situation like this. And so it's a very difficult situation, to say the least. So in the early morning hours of July 29th, Anthony borrowed a relative's car. Because, right, he didn't have his car. He drove to the family house and parked down the block. Inside the house at this time is his wife, Linda, and one of his daughters, Danielle. Okay, so one of the three kids. Okay. Right. And the dog. Oh, God, I hate you. That, that he, he creeps up to the house with two thirty-eight caliber handguns. Ugh. So around 4 a.m., shortly after he got there, he shot Linda in the leg. I'm assuming they were having some sort of arguments. Maybe he got wind that she went to speak to someone about the divorce. Right. Who knows? Well, somebody like this is, doesn't need to have a reason, obviously. So. Right. He also killed the family dog. Oh, come on. He didn't shoot the dog, so I'm not sure exactly how he killed the dog. Uh, I, I, okay, move on. Move on. 
And she was a big, big animal lover. So this was probably a way to punish her. So I'm not sure if Danielle was awake before this, but now she's awake. So she calls, and she's a teenager, I believe, at this point. She calls 911. She tells the 911 operator that her father shot her mother. And on the call, a woman, I'm assuming it's Linda, can be heard crying in the background of that call. When the police arrive... Danielle yells out of a window that her father, Anthony, had shot her mother. So she lets the police know. Okay. The police surround the house, but don't enter. They try to initiate some contact with Anthony. And he he goes to a window, another window, not the same. So he's not in the same room as Danielle. Right. So he goes to another window and he yells to the police that he would shoot them if they tried to enter the house. Okay. So once that threat was made... They dispatched the emergency services unit. They're specially trained for tactical and technical operations. So I'm thinking like, in my head, I'm picturing like a SWAT type of thing. Right, right. Okay. So once Anthony is realizing that the police are coming in, he fired the fatal shot into Linda's head. Oh, God. And as the emergency services unit were heading down the hallway to get to him, at 4.50 a.m., he shot himself in the head. And, you know, they have to come in now and do all this investigation. And Linda's body was removed from the house at 9.06 a.m. Okay. So Danielle is not injured. Danielle is, well, Danielle is not physically injured, no. Okay. I mean, of course, mentally is a different story. But physically, as for what we know so far, he, okay. he didn't hurt her. Thank God. Right. I bet his brother feels like an ass. Like he literally bailed him out and with within 30 hours, she was dead. But how often, how often do you hear about that where the family is protecting their family? You know what I'm saying? Like, even though the person is, is guilty, his immediate family is, is protecting him. Oh yeah. Even his mom. Like dummies. Of course. I mean, and, and I can't. I can't imagine my kid doing something like this, but I'm... But I'm, remember, they also don't know that he's going to do that. Right. So, you know, I don't know what kind of history we know about him, but... That's why he got that bail, too, because there was no history of anything. Right. Like, in our our minds, I'm like, 25000 knowing what he did. Like, that's not a lot, but they're saying it was considered substantial because he had... No criminal history, right? No, no nine one one calls from the house, Correct. like nothing. So they're treating it like right his first offense. They're not going to slam him with bail, right? And but that's where these these types of situations get get very complex, right? Because just because things weren't reported, or just because there were no nine one one calls, does not mean that this hadn't been going on for a while, right? So maybe the family could have been aware or maybe the family wasn't aware and it was something that she kept private. But I I find it hard to believe that there was nothing going on prior to this, you know, incident towards the end. I agree. When you look at domestic violence, that's the scary part and that's where it gets very tricky in the system because the law can only do or act upon what what they know and that's the scary part and even just 
the law, right? At this point, they know that he's done something. And right. he's given bail and released, and all she has is an order of protection. She even said at one point, I think, to the officers when she went in with that um, the text message, she's like, this piece of paper is not going to stop him. Right. Like, an order of protection, only if the person is scared of getting in trouble for violating it, that's... That's the only deterrent, really. Right. But again, they're only going on one incident. Mm -hmm. We don't know how many multiple incidents there were prior to that. And and that's where... Right. That's where it's... You become powerless. Because there's really probably not more they can do. And you don't know what he's capable of because there's not much that we know about him. Well, Linda was, as you mentioned before, she was an animal lover. And I'm not sure if her family started this, but a law was also enacted to protect the animals, which I love. Safe pet sheltering. So it offers pets in domestic violence situations free 90 days sheltering so that they aren't used as pawns by the abusers. Right. The assholes, we, sh- we shall say. So, which, which I think is really important because I never even knew that existed. I was going to say, I never even thought of that. And I, and I love that. You know, it's funny. It, it, of course, human life is important, but pets are often used in these types of situations. They're also saying, in addition to that, let's say she wanted to leave him and go to a shelter. Mm-hmm. They don't take, they'll take her kids, but they don't right. take dogs. Mm. At most of them. Now, there there are a bunch that do now, more recently. But I love that. 10 years ago, make people not want to leave. Right. Because they didn't want to leave their pets behind. Exactly. And people might say, you know, like anything else, oh, that's ridiculous. That's stupid. But those are real situations. For both of those reasons, right? You don't want them to be used as a pawn, and you also don't want to leave them behind. Right. Because people always think that, you know, you use the children as pawns and, and things like that. But but people do use pets. That was her donation to in her obituary was to the SPCA. So she was not just like an animal lover like I am because I have dogs. But think about it, though. I mean, you know, the, the, the dog was a victim. So right. I think, you know, that's that's nice. You remember Anthony's mom who hung up on the police? Yes. The one who tried to cover for him. She ended up, I did find that she passed away January 19th, 2018. So she lived eight more years Okay. on that. These are just like tying up just little bits of information that I found on some of the players, right? Also, so Nicole was the other daughter. There was Danielle, Anthony, and Nicole. Right. Nicole, I found on Facebook. Okay. And she looks very much like Linda. I'm not going to put a picture of no, Nicole no, up there. No, no, At all, but I just, you know, like to see if I could find anybody, see how they're doing based on, you know, the Facebook world. Mm-hmm. And um, she seems to be doing well, college, working, relationship. I didn't notice anything except on the 10-year anniversary, so July 29th, 2020, she did post a picture of her mother and father. No mm. comment, no mm. caption, just that picture. Now, that's interesting, too, right? Because when you look at these types of cases, that's a really hard, because 
he was your father, right? He, mm-hmm. You loved him. And so I'm always interested in a lot of these cases, too. Like, you know, how do, sh- how do the kids feel? You know, do they do they have any sort of empathy or, you know, love left for the person who killed their mother? Right. That's what I thought it was interesting that there was a picture of them together. Mm. Jackie, her sister, Linda's sister, was the executor of Linda's estate and the guardian of the children after. And she sued Hyde Park Police Department alleging that they were negligent in failing to protect Linda. So we're talking about the text and them basically doing nothing to, you know, he violated the order of protection and they didn't pursue it. And it was such a um, quick time frame, though. And the time from when he was released and they didn't give her enough notice. But the text to when he committed this crime was quick, but they really didn't do it. After his mother hung up the phone, that was it. They were done. Now, she's apparently, she said she didn't want to press charges or do anything, just let him know that. Right. So there's nothing what he's allowed do. to do and what he's obviously the reasons we're talking about right this second, it was dismissed. Right. The case. Right. And I also don't know in terms of, so, uh, you know, does there have to be an organized and, um, you know, does somebody have to be with him? when he goes to pick up his things or you know what I mean? I don't think that he's allowed well, I would to just think go pick police... up his things. He has to be supervised. No, I think the police would have to be there. Right. Exactly. So I guess that case, as you said, was dismissed. That case was dismissed. And this case, as I had mentioned before, there were a, a, quite a few in Dutchess County around this time. I wonder why. There might have been quite a few in every county around this time. I, I don't know. Right. In terms of numbers, right, and, and statistics mm-hmm. and things like that. So on average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the U.S. 72% of all murder-suicides involve an intimate partner, and 94% of the victims of these murder-suicides are females. So in New York State, 31.7% of women and 29% of men experience intimate partner violence. In Dutchess County, where Linda lived, in 2010, there were 1,212 reported domestic violence cases. That's a lot of, that's a lot. In 2000 and that's reported reported exactly in 2019 there were 802 in Hyde Park in 2010 there were 42 cases and in 2018 there were 26 so it does seem like 2010 there was correct very high right I'm not sure what was going on in the country, it was economy, was, uh, you know, because I could see like looking back in 10 years, they're going to be like 2020. Holy shit. The numbers were off the charts because we were all stuck home. Right. Right. You know, like there definitely it was on the rise and child abuse in 2020. But I can't recall 2010 there being some significant thing happening that would explain these numbers. 
And and obviously, you know, we, what we want to say is 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 get help. And then you have to remember that when the victim decides to leave, that is the most dangerous time. So it, it, that's, we're not saying that means don't leave. It just means that you need to reach out to get the support available to you and, and have a safe plan. It's very sad because there's three kids now that don't have a mother or a father. And, you know, their lives are ruined. There's been a, so many changes to increase protection. Yeah, you have to look at at least the positive things that came out of a horrible situation. Unfortunately, you know, you, you don't want to be the guinea pig in this in this situation. No. Okay. All right. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Okay. Nefarious New York. Mm-hmm.